Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Welcome back to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I am Jamie Wagner, flying solo today. Um, got to do this interview solo as well with Lauren Ammon, who, guys, I'm so excited to bring this conversation to you. I felt like I learned a ton. Uh, Lauren was a former Division One swimmer at Eastern Michigan University and brings that idea of the intensity of training and and learning about yourself and what peak performance looks like from the the idea of being the athlete yourself to when you are influencing the athlete she has a business called performance reimagined and and to me the thing that she does that is super unique and why i wanted to have this conversation is she talks about building systems for your athletes and not just systems that they can execute on their own talking about the support system for the athletes so the the triangle that she talks about is the athlete the coach and the parent and she really tries to address the needs of each one of those people in developing uh, a mental skill process and and we get a little bit all over the place we talk about flow states as the athlete we talk about being able to give uh, your athletes as a coach the the things and the tools that they need and how they might speak to themselves or support them, create plans for them, ask questions of them. But we spend a lot of time in here about being conscious about working with parents and how to give them the tools to remove this need for outcomes, which we talk about so often on the podcast. Like, what is the biggest thing we can do we have to divorce the outcome from the process and focus our attention on the process and let the outcomes take care of ourselves if of themselves that's really hard to do for a parent because the parent isn't as involved in the process they don't get to see all the steps in the process and so i was just really grateful to lauren for bringing some perspective about how to how to talk to parents how to ask questions she talks about giving questions as a neutral ground, which I think is just a phenomenal idea. And she she dives into maybe how she does that and how what some ideas for those types of questions. Because it's not easy. None of this is easy. I think one of the things that, that has started to cause some of the exodus in coaching is the challenge that it is to work with parents. And those of you that are parents out there and and are listening like this is a great set of tools to think about how do you parent an athlete this isn't just about sports and athletics though lauren was in hr for a while and she and we get to the challenge of setting these types of goals and these sorts of conversations and asking yourself these types of questions when there isn't the peak performance moment out there on the horizon when it's get up and do your job every single day no matter what it is, who you are, what your role is, I feel like there's something just super valuable in here that can help us get better. As I said, I, I felt like I learned a lot. I got better. You will too. We're so thankful for Lauren joining us. Here we go. We are now joined by Lauren Ammon, uh, leader, coach, teacher, all of the things that we talk about as being 
the audience for this podcast, you kind of connect to all of those, your businesses performance for imagine, and you work in a lot of ways doing what we try and do, trying to create the mental skills necessary to reach peak performance in whatever you're doing. And, and your focus is with athletes as ours tends to be as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you. How are you today? Oh, thank you, Jamie. I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. I geek out on this stuff. Yeah. Uh, athletes, coaches, and their parents are my jam. They're my tribe. And so anytime we have the opportunity to talk about this kind of stuff, I am all in. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that last piece that you talked about, the parents, because so much of what I do do and the coaches that I work with are like, how do we teach the parents? You know, one of the things that, that you say on, you know, I read a couple of your blogs and on your website and I've listened to some, some of your podcast guest appearances, like mastery is this place where we stop being concerned with the outcome because we love what we're doing so much. I love this thought process. Parents, however, kind of miss that because they're not in on the process necessarily. So Mm -hmm. talk to us a little bit about how you're coaching parents to be awesome parents that are bought into the process. Yeah. So, oh gosh, there's, that comes from so many different sources. Uh, One, my own parents, and we can talk about that uh, as an athlete. Uh, My parents were never athletes in their life. Never never swam, never did anything, uh, but we're super, super supportive, right? So when I think about working with parents and coaching them, right, they're kind of my poster children, for lack of a better term, for my experience, right? So I always joke that my parents attended every single meet from the time I was five years old until I graduated high school and then attended most of my college meets because I went uh, to Eastern Michigan University, which is in the MAC, which is right around Cincinnati, kind of central to the Mac and could go everywhere. Right. Yeah. And I always joke that my parents, while they knew I could, while they knew when I did well, they couldn't ever name my best time or whatever the heck was going on. I mean, you look like you're going fast. Right. So it was great not having that pressure. Right. It was always like, just do what you need to do. Go out there. We'll support you either way. We'll handle you or we'll handle you. We'll support you when things go awry. But other than that, you're, you're, kind of in the space where you can figure it out on your own. And I love that idea of personal responsibility, right? So there's one part. The second is, you know, my corporate world. And so when, when we came to this mission of really working with athletes, I had this like aha moment, right? So we look at it as the triangle, the athletes are at the top of the triangle and then coaches and parents are the other sides of that triangle, right? Yeah. Helping to build that foundation. Cause that's where it's right. Yeah. And so as we started thinking about working with athletes, I had this like, wait a minute, this really sounds like in the corporate world, I was in the HR space or human resources, and I did a lot of manager development programs. So when you think about managers, kind of the entry-level managers, mid-level managers, kind of working their way up, right? And one of the biggest challenges we always ran into and you know started to solve in the corporate world was you had these managers going through this training right? They're getting all this great information. They're learning how to grow and and build themselves. Their employees had little insight into what was going on. Yeah. And their leaders, their managers had little insight into what was going on. And so these managers were in this vacuum 
trying to be better, trying to improve their own performance. And then two of their most important support systems were kind of out of the loop. Yeah. Right. So I transitioned that same thought process to athletes. And I thought, okay, if I'm working or, or as an organization, we're working with high school level athletes, high school elite level athletes who are in this space, want to go to college, who within their support system is really important to bring along the journey? Parents and coaches. Yeah. And so then it became, okay, once we build this out and we start talking to these athletes about what's going on, how do we pull in the parents to one, not only know what they're going through, right? As a yeah. form of support, what the athletes are going through as a form of support, but two, how do we start shifting the conversation so that, and this is the tricky part, right? Cause you're working with children, right? And these parents are really invested. They want the best for their kids. And so you gotta kind of toe the line. I'll be yeah. fully transparent. No, no doubt. Yeah. Toe the line of here's what they're learning. Here's how you can support it. And in a very indirect way of here are things that you can do as a parent to maybe shift your own mindset around yeah. what's going on for your athlete and really kind of creating the, I know you're there for your athlete. I know you want the best of them. But, oh, speaking from an athlete's point of view, sometimes a parent's best intentions aren't what an athlete wants or needs to hear. Absolutely. I, it's, it's so powerful. I think about when I work with leaders, even, you know, I work with some student leadership groups. I've, I've worked in the business realm, also developing managers, developing leaders. One of the things I ask all the time is, are you the lid, right? Are you the limiting factor on your own leadership, on the people you lead, are you the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And very often we don't frame what we're doing with that in mind. We assume that we are the catalyst, mm -hmm. not the limitation. And I, I imagine, and I, I don't work directly with parents terribly often. I certainly have many, many, many conversations with parents indirectly as you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But I imagine one of those conversations with parents would be just super powerful to say, are you the limiting factor? Mm -hmm. How do you broach that? Because like you said, you want to toe the line, you want to be kind, you want to be, I know that you're supporting, I know that you're doing everything you know how to do to help your athlete. Because we have a lot of parents that listen to this. We have a lot of coaches that listen to this how do you talk to them and ask them that question gently and say, what are some tools that you can give them to move them towards that question and say, am I the problem? Yeah. It, it, it just falls in line with some coaching techniques, right? So part of my MO is I've always been a very curious person. I've always been a, Hey, I just kind of want to see it from your point of view kind of thing. So that's what I do. I just ask questions of, you know, Hey, what's your biggest struggle as a parent? in relating to your athlete, you know? And as we kind of go deeper into the conversation saying, you know, a lot of what I do is I tap into the thought and the emotion, you know, both with coaches, parents, and athletes, or all, not both, all, coaches, parents, and athletes. So, you know, a lot of times, I'm sure you've heard this, you know, do you lead with emotion? Do you wear your heart on their sleeve, right? So I listen to their answers of, are you an emotional being or are you a thought being? Right. Yeah. And so I play both sides of that equation of 
well, what are you feeling when you are having a conversation? And I'm always very intentional about what, not how are you feeling? I want them to name the emotion, right? And then get them to talk about the thought of what's going through their mind and asking a version of that question of, are you the limit? Are you the lid? What role do you see yourself playing in this scenario? And just getting them to talk because it's not my place to put judgment on them because they're parents. I mean, I'm a parent. I want the best for my child. I mean, heck, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say I was the limit and lead to my kids sometimes, yeah, right? And that's, sure. part of, that's part of the equation, but it's also being a former athlete. I have to really pare myself down in talking yeah. to my kids. So that's what I pull from my own experience too, of if I hear some of the same things that uh, these parents are thinking and feeling that I've gone through, I'll start asking questions of, gosh, how did that frustration really affect you? What is it that you said once you felt that frustration and get them just to unravel the situation and meet them where they are? Yeah, that's so powerful, right? I I mean, awareness is the first step, right? And so Mm -hmm. how do we, you know, it, it sounds simple, right? It sounds super, super simple. Just ask questions, but people, you can do this yourselves, right? You can ask these same sort of questions to yourself and journal about it, write it down, have an awareness piece, and then do that regularly enough to see any patterns in that behavior to see, am I doing this over and over and over again? And are there certain triggers that bring out that particular response? And you know, that's what we do with athletes sometimes, right? Look for the pattern in your behavior. Look for the meltdown moment. Look for the thing that causes the trigger to take you to the place, you know, and for some of our athletes, it's just being in the field of competition, period. That mm-hmm. revs up the, the effective filter to a degree where it's like, I can't do this at the same level. I always do this in practice because I'm now in competition. So for, for parents, for coaches for people like it might just be as simple as write some of this stuff down and begin to see the the constancy or the the consistency within which certain things happen is is this how you're helping that are you just trying to draw them to some awareness when we get there what's the next step in the process i don't know that there's a great answer because each one's going to be different right each answer is going to be a little bit different by person but what are some of the things that you're doing to help people move to the next step in that process yeah and i want to hit on something really important you said yeah it's quote unquote simple to have these conversations and to bring this awareness and that's part of what i talk about with athletes too so you know, it, this is quote unquote simple, but you have to put in the work, right? It's just like all of your physical training. You're not going to get what you want. If you just think about it, or you just talk about it, you literally have to do the work. And so it's kind of translating that same thought process to the parents of, yes, it's simple. I can have these conversations with you. I can support you in bringing this level of awareness. Cause sometimes it's just having that conversation and one thing comes out of their mouth and you can see the light bulb go off and like, Oh, that's how I play a part in this. And right. They may not actually say it out loud, but I can see the like thought process and the uh, expression on their face. Like, Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Got it. But what we do, and this is what we talk about a lot is that 
you know, in order to create the most effective support system for the athletes is that we work with coaches on the same type of material so that not only are they going through the same things themselves in terms of building awareness about themselves as a coach and how that translates to the athlete, but doing the same on the parent side. And so a lot of times what we do is if we're going through this content with athletes, what we do is we flip it to the parent and say, here's what your athlete is going through. We provide them with questions that they can then ask the athlete. But I always say to them too, like, you know, your child way better than I do. So this is a guideline that if you're feeling stuck or if you're feeling that level of, oh my gosh, I just, you as like, as a parent, oh my gosh, you athlete, I just want you to get to a certain place, right? If you're feeling that kind of emotion is to use these questions as um, a buffer, as a neutral zone. So, you know, maybe they can ask, maybe they're already thinking the same thing, but it's just being asked in a different way and allows the athlete to come with an answer, you know, because here's an example. And I've done this myself. I'm fully transparent. I am not a perfect human being. I'm not a perfect parent, right? In terms of frustration, my competitive nature still is alive and well. So when I watch my, when I watch my son play baseball, which I've never done before in my entire life, give him so much credit for getting up there and trying to even hit a ball. I couldn't do it to save my life. But what, what were you thinking out there? What was going through your mind when you did that, right? In my own competitive nature, my frustration, those words have come out of my mouth. And in that moment, when I feel that frustration and competitive nature coming and he's walking off a field or, you know, at the end of the game, instead of what was going through your mind to say, um, you know, buddy, it looked like maybe there was a little angst on your face or something. Tell me what were you feeling in that moment? Right. And it's almost even just the tone of voice. It's just shifting a couple of words. And we, we arm parents with those techniques so that they can form a more uh, neutral, objective relationship with their athlete. Um, what, what I hear is instead of judgment, there's empathy, right? Yes. You know, like to me, that's that. And, and when I think about coaching athletes, I want them to remove judgment. You know, like I, I work in a bunch of sports and I, you know, like John and I are both golfers and people have heard us talk about golf on, on this podcast before. But one of the things that has helped me as a golfer, and I'm not a good golfer, let's be clear about this. But one of the things that's helped me as a golfer and when I work with golf teams, one of the things I'm trying to do as often as possible, because results are so clear and yeah. obvious so immediately in golf, oh, yeah. judgment follows. Judgment is also clear and obvious and immediate if you're paying attention. So you hit it right and you didn't hit it where you want to. Judgment immediately is that was bad. I suck. Then the spiral begins, right? Mm -hmm. When we remove the judgment, we get to a course of action we can take, right? When we get to having a sense of what we're feeling and what we're going through, we can then move through it and get to the action instead of the automatic judgmental process Mm -hmm. just starting and so when i think what you're explaining to me is stopping that judgment as quickly as we can moving to empathy and then action you know like Mm -hmm. moving to understanding which comes from trying to be empathetic with your athlete Mm -hmm. you know and and i hear you i'm I'm competitive i want to win i want (laughs) all that stuff and we've been conditioned 
mm-hmm. to judge. And as athletes and former athletes, we're as hard on ourselves as anything. And so then we, we communicate that down to our athletes, you know, as coaches, we, we are just as judgmental because we want the outcome as parents. We're just as judgmental because we want the outcome. We're doing what we would do to ourselves, yep. to the people we coach and parent. It's so hard to remove mm-hmm. the ego and the self and the judgment mm-hmm. in this process and vital necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Teach me right now how to be better about that too. Cause I have littles, right? I have little people mm-hmm. in my house that I, I tend to judge also like, yeah. why did you do that? What was going on? You know? Yes. So it's multifaceted, right? And, and I, I love this conversation. You're absolutely hit the nail on the head is, is minimize the judgment. Hey, we're all human. There's going to be bits and pieces in there, yeah. right? Uh, and move to empathy. And, you know, as a parent, if you've, if you've, if you're a former athlete, you know, this, and Jamie, you hit the nail on the head is that we, as an athlete, regardless of where you are in your journey, whether you're still in it or you're just out of it, or you're 20 years removed, like me, that judgment still exists, right? Because, you know, walking off a field, getting out of, out of a pool in my instance, right. I was already my biggest critic. The judgment was already there. So as a parent, as a former athlete, just that simple reminder of, oh, he or she is probably beating themselves up way more than I ever could or ever want to, right? As a parent, right? You know, when you protect your kids, of just that simple reminder of, oh, yep, yeah, I'm going to let them have their moment, kind of figure that out, right? Just having that simple pause as a parent. Well, and sorry, I'm going to jump in. The one thing Go. I think about Go. is like, do I want the voice that's in my head in their head? Right. You know what I'm like, I don't love it when I'm really hard on myself. Sometimes I know that it's motivated me at different times and it's, and it's made me better at different times, but I also think that's a cop out, right? I think thinking that that was the reason is wrong, right? So I, do I want that language to be in their head? And as a coach, when I was a coach, I, I, I tried as often as I could to remember that they got other stuff going on, right? Oh, they might've broke up with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. They might've had a test today. They might've had this today. And I was great about coming to it from a perspective of, Hey, we love you. We care about you. We want what's best for you. Don't worry about it. Throw it away. Come back tomorrow. Let's do it again. You know, cause like, so I, I tried to give them a voice in their head that was like, okay, I'm cared for. No big deal. Let's move on. Yeah. And yet, I know with my kids, I'm giving them some of the language that I have in my head, right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, as parents, it's natural, yeah. right? Because, you know, we see our children and oftentimes we receive, we see obviously a lot of ourselves reflected back to us because that's part of the parenting. That's part of the human condition, right? But one of the greatest aha moments that I ever had as a parent, and this is also another technique that I work with parents is that, you know, we as parents work to instill a set of values in our kids, right? And those values come from our point of view, right? And I had this huge aha moment one time, and I don't even remember the exact instance. I just remember the emotion that I felt when I was having this instance with my 11-year-old son of, oh, he has slightly different values than I do. And I thought, well, of course he does. 
he's a different person. He's a different person than I am. And then I thought back to myself of, oh, wait, yes, my parents instilled a lot of great values in me, but I don't hold the exact same values that they do. And I didn't realize that until I was an adult, right? And I started to go through my own journey and start to think, oh yeah, I can challenge mom and dad's values just a little bit, or I'll, I'll modify them to fit me. And then I thought back in my own life and I thought as a 10, 11 year old, I thought, well, yeah, I thought a little bit differently as my parents at that time, but I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old and felt that, hey, I want to honor and respect my parents. So then I must adopt the belief, the exact belief and value system that they have. But it was in that moment with my son, I thought, wow, here's an opportunity for me to support him in saying, yes, I am working as your parent to instill a set of values in you that I believe to be important, but I am also in a position to honor the values and beliefs that you create when they may be in contrast to my own. And it was that moment I was like, oh my gosh, they're human long before we as parents want them to be. Yeah. (laughs) They're not just our... Right. our dolls, our yes. thing we get to create our, our simulation, right? They are, they're human. They have their own set of emotions and they're going to, they're going to experience things differently than we do. Right. I, yes. you know, I'm not a, I don't like soft things, right. I hate, I don't know why people can, again, psychoanalyze all my stuff, but I just don't like soft things. My daughter loves them and she wants them to be all over me all of the time. And I have to remember, like, she's not me. Right. And it's in tiny little moments like that. And then I think about how powerful this moment could be for so many parents to just say, you know what, these are the values I desire. And I expect you to honor them to the best of your ability while we coexist. Right. And at the same time, I see that you're an individual. I see that you're a person. I see that you have your own stuff going on. That's informing your own decision-making and your own value system. I can, I can respect that. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that. Let's, let's develop that a little bit, you know, and, you know, I think about your parents and not being athletes and maybe not valuing competition in the same way that you did. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you get to have this conversation with them and say, mom, dad, I'm super competitive and I really value what that's given me in life. And I would like you to honor that. And I think they'd say, sure. You know, you're not saying I want to rob liquor stores or you know (laughs) you're just saying i want to be me and i want to express that individualism like in the way that i can because this is who i am yeah and it's really true it's a really tricky position as a parent right because you know our job as parents is to raise contributors to society right so kind effective contributors to society Right. And the only way, quote unquote, we know how to do that is to create replications of, well, this worked for me. So it must work for them because they have half of my DNA. Right. Well, fun fact, they have half of their DNA from the other, you know, the other side who is different from you. Right. I mean, anybody who's married can say, oh, yeah, they're wildly different values on that side. Right. And so, you know, it's all about creating those boundaries, though, too. You know, I'm not necessarily advocating for, hey, let your child go and do whatever they want and 
express it whatever the way they want. It's finding that balance, just like we're finding balance in every other thing that we do in life, right? As a professional, you've got to kind of shift and move your values, values in contrast or in context of the bigger organization, right? Or your coworkers or your team. And the same with your athletes is they've got to do that same thing with their teammates, with their coaches, right? So, you know, these athletes are in precarious position because they're they have so many different audiences that they're trying to please because fun fact, most, if not all athletes are people pleasers because yeah. they want to do really well, want to shine, want to say, Hey, all this hard work pay off all this you poured into me. I want to give back to you. Right. Um, so they've got their coaches, their parents, their teammates, their non-athletic friends, their partners, uh, you know, whether they're athletic or not athletic, and then just kind of like the general society at large, because if you are a competitive person, you want to say, hey, I stand out in this respect, regardless if I know you or not, right? So yeah, comparison is part of the job, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Because that's what we're conditioned for. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the, the most powerful thing about these conversations, but also one of the hardest is that like as athletes, you were conditioned to care about the gold medal or losing, right? You were, you were conditioned to care. That is the only option you have. Whereas the most effective performance is when you completely remove your attachment to that outcome yeah. and start to unravel that mindset in a way that's really powerful. And so that's what it's about transitioning or translating to the parents as well, is that I, as a professional coach, recognize you want the best for your child and the best for your child is to get as many wins as possible and to do it any way possible. But then you've got to find that balance between supporting them and what makes sense for them and allowing them to get there in their own way within the context of the foundation that you built. Yeah. I, I think about, you just triggered a story from a book called Elite Minds by Stan Beecham. And he talks about this Olympic runner who he, you know, was like, Hey, you, what was your goal? And she's like, make the Olympic final. He's like, you did that. Congratulations. She's like, I ran terrible when I got to the Olympic final. Right. And then the next year she makes the cross country national championships. And she's like, well, that was your goal. And he's like, when your goal is just to get there, when you get there, you're not going to perform in the way that you want to. And what I try to communicate to athletes is like the goal is not the gold medal. It's to train and to believe that you can be the gold medalist, that you are deserving of being the gold medalist. And that changes the way that you prepare. It changes the way that you train, you, you go and train like, and so he continues on and he's like, okay, so who's going to win the gold medal? And she gives a name and he's like, how do you think she's training? You know, and he kind of goes through the whole process where it's like, all right, so those that make the finals, some of them are just happy to be there. Mm -hmm. Some of them are competing to be at the bottom of the podium or in the top five. Some of them are competing to be at the top of the podium. When you train to be like, you're going to be at the top of the podium, you are going to get the absolute best out of yourself. And it doesn't matter if you get the gold medal in the end, you did the thing that allowed you the chance to do that. What I think about when, when it comes to athleticism, when it comes, when I've been most fulfilled as an athlete is when I've poured every ounce of what I have into the process regardless of what the outcome was because the outcomes tend to be pretty good, mm -hmm. but I never reached the apex, right? I never won a championship as an athlete. I've been fortunate to be a part of those as a coach, right? But I've never been to the top. 
I was still super fulfilled in the relationships that I had, in the experience that I had, because I prepared in such a way, right? What I think we need to be able to give to coaches and parents is to communicate that reality. Mm -hmm. That The goal is not the medal. The goal is to prepare as if you should win the medal. And whatever happens from there is out of our control. Yeah. Or it's icing on the cake. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It's really not that fulfilling to be to be clear, right? When you sure. get to the top, it's exciting for a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, whatever that is. But then it's like, let's move on to the next thing. I want to go back to doing the thing I was just doing, which was all the preparation that required all this time, energy, focus. It is it is an amazing thing to be an athlete that is all in. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't I, I didn't have that experience often right in my 15 20 years of competing but when i did it was transcendent right mm -hmm. so how do we get our athletes to that place and then not burn out not feel the weight of that and just be free to compete with that knowledge i've done everything i possibly can yeah um, there are a couple of things you raised so many great points um, that, you know, and kind of going back to that idea of mastery, the, the concept of mastery is that the focus is on the journey. It is on the process. It's on everything you do to give yourself the best possible possibility to get where you want to go. And what came to mind when you were talking about that is that as a former athlete, so I swam for 17 years. I had a, I had a bit of cross country running in there from seventh grade until sophomore year, but from the age of five until I graduated from Eastern Michigan university, I swam yeah. and I never got burned out. And when I think about that experience, my mind rarely goes to my top performances. It's more about the feeling of being in practice, the memories with my teammates, the, all the stuff that fills around my best performances. And then I, I like one time as a professional coach, sometimes you're just kind of like in the moment, you think of something as you're having these conversations with these athletes. And I just happened upon this really powerful exercise. And I sit down with the athletes, with the athletes and say, run me through your best performance. Right. And Oftentimes the one, the number one thing, cause I, I break it down. Give me the, what, give me the, when, give me the, where, give me the, who, and give me the, why every single time I ask the question and go through this exercise, the first thing they go to is more about the emotion that they felt and more just kind of this, like, you can almost see this light shining around them. And the greatest part of that exercise is they can't give me a ton of detail about that moment. Yeah. Then on the flip side, I ask about their worst performance. And the first thing they go to is the what, the instance. And then they, they give me every single detail about that day of who was there. You know, one instance I had was uh, this phenomenal softball player. She could tell me who was behind her what their, um, 
I'm not, I'm not, you like what, what they did at, at that, right. She, and she could give me the pitch count at any moment. She could talk about the batter behind her or the batter behind her. And then the third batter and have, like every single detail around it. And that's where it's this light bulb moment of, oh, I guess it really is about the process because, or, or just feeling the experience. Cause I couldn't tell you in my best performance, what the heck happened. But in my worst performance, I can tell you down to the like speck of dirt that was on my pants yeah. of how, how that affected me. And greatness is, has some automaticity to it, right? Yeah. Elite has some automatic, thoughtless, unconscious stuff to it. And the weeds, the, the challenging moments are when we try and take too much control, when we are over-invested mentally yes and then you'd be like well why are you guys coming to teach mental skills because shouldn't we shut that stuff off when it matters most yeah absolutely we should but if we don't practice it it will never be automatic right, right. <laughs> yeah and that that like to see the aha moments on these athletes faces of oh my god how how, how do i replicate that how, how do i get back to that how do, how do we find that again and it goes back to the process Right. Because oftentimes we find that flow. We find, I we talk a lot about the mind muscle connection. Right. Yeah. And it truly is in those greatest performance. You just, you almost unconsciously surrender to that connection and just let stuff happen. Right. You don't bring the mental side of the game in. And so that's what we talk about it. And, and it's often in the process, in practice. Right. I didn't figure this out until 17 years after I stopped performing sports. But I always wondered why the heck was I a practice performer? I, like, I could never figure out why I could blow myself out of the water, dead tired at the end of a two and a half hour practice. And then I go swim a 500 free and it would be the most painful thing on the planet. It was because in practice, I constantly found my flow. I wasn't attached to anything because it was just, it I didn't just matter. I, I get to play around. I get yeah. to figure out how to, you know, do my race strategies or my pace strategies a little different. And if it didn't happen today, guess what? There's always tomorrow. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> and that's a really hard mindset to get to. Again, it's simple, but it it's takes a ton <laughs> of practice. Yes. It's not easy. It takes a ton of practice. And back to what you're saying before of journaling and starting to uncover the patterns of when you find flow, because as an athlete, you know, when you found it, you can't explain it, but you know, when you found it and you know, runners high exists in any sport. Yep. Doesn't matter. And if you can get really conscious about those experiences, that's when you can start to unravel and replicate how you got there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then try and remove judgment. Otherwise yes. you're just going to pour into like, yes. Oh, I didn't do this. And now I'm going to be, that's bad. And I won't get to flow this way. No, no. Like just remove it. Let it go. I, Stephen Kotler, uh, the art of impossible and yes. the rise of Superman. For those of you guys that are, that are curious about where can we connect with these ideas of flow? Obviously Mikhail chicks at Mihai is also the, like the author of the book flow and it's pretty nerdy deep like 
stuff. But Stephen Kotler does an awesome job of, of doing storytelling around yes. that. So The Art of Impossible and uh, The Rise of Superman are his two books. Those of you that are listening, go check those out. That mm -hmm. will give you a sense of what we're talking about. But you're absolutely right. This thing is is practice driven and he supports that, right? It is a process that we learn to do because we've been there before. It doesn't just happen. You have to connect to, to repetition in, mm -hmm. in that reality. And that brings me to a question that may or may not be as easy to answer. How do we do this in, you talked about working in management with, corporate how do we do this in our day-to-day -day work lives because as athletes as and like even let's just talk about it as parents or whatever you know whatever our day-to-day -day outcomes are as athletes there's always like a mountaintop on the horizon right we get to climb a mountain and then potentially reach that peak you know and and then it it ends we we move on as managers as leaders as parents this may be an everyday, all the time, no end in sight process. What are you doing to try and replicate some of this when there isn't the, the peak performance opportunity standing right in front of you? Yeah, that's a great question because this took me a long time as a former athlete to figure out. Um, you know, one of the first couple of years, and this was so unconscious for me, I was like, why am I so bummed all the time? Like almost. I wouldn't say depressed, but just bleh. bored, and, disinterested, yeah, bored, yeah. disinterested. Perfect. Perfect example of, and then I figured it out. Oh, I don't have practice. You know, I don't have meets coming up. I don't have this and this and that, and that. And then I started, you know, all the research I've done, all the studying I've done. And, you know, I've just kind of, I had this aha moment once of performance, the way that I define performance, because performance is performance is performance, regardless yeah. if you are an athlete, a parent, a leader, whatever, um, it just manifests differently that the, your, your pinnacles manifest differently. And, um, performance to me is connection. So performance equals connection. So how invested you are in what you're doing times ease. And that's where you get the idea of flow and this, if you want to think about it a different way, removing the stress you feel because of the task or the action you're about to do. And this is where it gets really powerful in the more daily grind, quote unquote, of like corporate or a leader or something like that is, you know, when we think about performance, we talk about it. So performance equals connection times ease, but then we break that down into six different contributing factors to performance. So looking at it from mind, heart, your soul, your body, your environment, and your relationships, right? And we break that down for athletes and help them realize because most of their entry point to performance is whatever I'm doing with my body, nutrition, yeah. sleep, working out, recovery, those sorts of things. There's these big aha moments when you're like, no, there's these five other factors that play into that, right? No but most, can, most can think about mind being a part of it. So maybe the four other factors, but the same applies to a leader, to a corporate, to a parent is that you have the same contributing factors to your performance. 
And when we what's talk- ironic is the body is the last thing we think about in that room, right? <laughs> exactly. No, that's a great, that is a great call out. But, you know, thinking about how to look at this and again, that daily grind of like looking at it from a corporate point of view, right? You may have a big presentation coming up or you may have a meeting or a project due, right? Or, or, or milestones within that project. And so I actually work, we still kind of work with some corporate clients and we, mm-hmm. we apply the same factors. Uh, when you think about particularly in the corporate world, because there are things that you are not going to be connected to, right? There's things you have to do that you just absolutely hate. And part of that is really just being consciously aware of, yeah, I don't really like this. And it's okay if I give my C plus effort in this yeah. moment right? That was a really hard lesson for me to learn specifically as a former athlete. Cause it was like, no, 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 no. A hundred is the minimum that I give. And if I don't, I'm letting someone down. Exactly. Right? Yes. And so it's that translation of, Hey, in this, in this job, I may not be connected to this. So therefore I'm consciously aware that I'm probably, this probably isn't going to feel easy or I'm not going to feel at ease for this. So what we work with them on is saying of those six contributing factors, where do you feel most stressed? Like, where is the biggest stressor out of those six elements? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the guy down the hall, you know, from I'm making this up. No, no shame to finance guys, right? The finance guy has a pain in my butt. I don't want to work with them, but I know I got to work with them on this thing. Right. So it's even identifying, okay, how might I make that relationship a little bit easier for me? Yeah. That'll make this task I have to do a little bit easier, even though I may not be fully connected to it. And it, I'm okay in this moment to give my B minus C plus up. Can you give us the six again, just so that yeah. people don't have to go back, write it yeah. down. People, here are the six things you need to consider when it comes to your performance. Because I think this is really powerful. If we just took a second and be like, score from one to 10 on this thing, right? Mm-hmm. These are, this is where I'm at ease wise on mind, right? So give us the six again. Yeah. So they're uh, mind, heart, soul, body, environment, and relationships. Yeah. And I want to give a little bit of a deeper meaning to soul. So soul is, in my opinion, the most important, regardless if you're an athlete, a parent, a professional in some way. Soul is all about your purpose in life, your vision for you as an individual, your mission, your drivers and your motivators, right? If there is a lot of stress in that area, it is going to make the other five that much more challenging. Yeah. You, you hear it all the time, right? Purpose, passion, start with why Simon Sinek, right? This sort of stuff is the foundation point. And I think you just hit on the why, right? You hit on why that stuff is so important because it bleeds and leaks and affects all of the rest of it. If you're standing there going like, why am I doing this? You're not going to invest a whole lot in making that relationship with the finance guy any good because it's just like, I don't care. None of this really matters to me. So he can be a jerk. I can be a jerk right back. Who cares if this is easy, right? Who cares if there's any ease in this? I don't really care what my performance is. And then the spiral begins because it now begins 
to trickle into all of those other areas. And so having that baseline grounded, rooted, you know, and you talked about it being a long time after you got done competing, understanding this, we had the, the great good fortune to play John and I both did. And that's how we know each other is, is we played football at Bethel university in St. Paul, small division three school. And we always talked about, and like, we're not a faith based organization, but we talked about having this thing, right. Having that we got to bend the knee and pray together after a football practice was over. And really if the football practice didn't go that well, who cares? Cause this thing unites us all. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what the thing is. That was our, great good fortune right because it it showed us it demonstrated to us none of the rest of this really matters as long as we have that thing in place i don't care what it is it doesn't have to be faith and and christianity and spirituality for you but you have to have something that you come back to and say none of the other stuff really matters because i have this and i'm going to hold it really really tight you know and it it gives me the rest athletes if you're listening, all of the outcomes, all of the hoped for dreams that you have, they don't matter. They go in a box someday and you just will never see them again. Right. The thing that does matter is what is that at the root of who you are and what you want to become. And then it gets pretty easy when you find that footing to stand on Every single day you come to practice, every single time you walk into a meeting as a, in a corporate setting, this is my driver. Let's go. Yeah. And I, you saying that is so powerful because, and that's when I, when I go through these exercises with athletes and I name those six things, like I said, there are these light bulb moments of them thinking, oh, I had no idea those other things came into play, right? There are things that we just take for granted. For sure. And you know, we're intentional about working with high school elite athletes or high school aged athletes who want to go to college to support them in figuring out of creating a balance between their identity as a human and, and really finding a healthy balance between that and their sport, right? I'm a prime example. I didn't, I didn't want to be known as anything other than a swimmer, right? That was my entire life. And then when I was forced to retire, i.e. graduation, I had, I wasn't conscious of it though. And I had no idea yeah. how much that would have affected me. And so what we talk about with them is even as a high school age, and even if they want to go farther in their career, to start honing in on that soul, that purpose, that vision, those drivers, so that you start to see that, yes, they exist in the context of sport. But as you get deeper and you, you embrace them more, they can exist outside of sport Yeah. and just creating that awareness that yes, it is fun. It is totally normal to get wrapped up in being a football player, a golfer, a swimmer, a track runner, a basketball player, but someday that will come to an end yeah. and it happens for all of us and it's coming for all of us. And if, yeah. if we can start building the foundation that you as a human are so powerful, regardless if you're in football or not, and you're tied to that core, that center, that soul, how much more effective that transition from athlete to non-athlete can be. Well, and, and the thing, the underlying truth in all of this, stop what you're doing and listen to people when that is founded, just like when it's 
off-centered a little bit. It trickles in and bleeds in and ruins the other pieces. When it's founded and really well-rooted, it actually support, supports the other things. Mm-hmm. It gives them life. It gives them juice. It fills their those cups also. And our performance improves. Having been a college coach, having coached championship-level athletes, having been in this capacity now for a few years, you see it when when that thing is rooted and established and the best athletes i've ever coached have that circle pretty well rounded mm-hmm. they they aren't just 100% in on this they're they're all in right but it's not all of their life and it's not all of their identity sometimes it is and as you speak to like you don't realize how much of it is until you're done, which was true of me and John and many of the athletes we've spoken to. We've had this conversation about identity multiple times, and it's so powerful because it is who we were and are still, Mm -hmm. and yet we don't get to do that thing anymore. It doesn't get to be an expressed part of our identity any longer. Okay. How do we transition that into the rest of what we do? I, I'm so grateful that we got to have this conversation and to and to dive into what it looks like to be a supporter of athletes in a lot of ways, because when we when we're given that role, it is a gift. Mm -hmm. It's a gift that we should honor and learn how to grow in and get better at. Thank you for giving us some awesome tools to help us do that. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jamie. And, you know, I just want to kind of end too, is that in each of those six elements, we actually break them down even further to say, like, here's where you may, like looking at these definitions of the things inside of them, here's where you may actually be at a very minute level. And by minute, I mean, very detailed level, not very small level of, oh, that's where I'm a little off center, or that's where I'm a little off kilter. And I, that's where the stress is really coming in. So if we adjust that element inside the bigger hole of the contributor, performance will naturally become easier because you yeah, it's like, fix the problem. It's like, it's like a top, right? That little wobble sends it all <laughs> yes. off. You know, when it's yes. in balance, it's, it's pretty good and it can go for a long time. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Lauren. So grateful that we got to have you. Yes. Thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. And I am just blown away as I think back on the conversation about the different places that challenge me. The other day, I was I went to Menards to get some things. As as some of you know that have been listening, you know, John and I both take on sort of these projects. I'm remodeling, finishing my basement. John has done this a bunch of times. He's kind of my my leader in some of this. I ask questions of him a lot, but I went to Menards to get some things, and I ended up not getting the one thing that I intended to go to Menards for the thing that needed to be done in the next couple of days. I forgot. I just didn't get it. And it ruined my evening. Absolutely ruined my evening. I I went back actually. This is how insane I am. I I got home at like three 30 and it's about a 35 minute drive at home at like three 30, four o'clock in the afternoon, did lunch and bedtime with the kids and at 8.15, I left and went back because I had to fix it. I had to make it right. And that's just been me. We as athletes, and Lauren and I 
talk about this in the conversation. We as athletes are so hard on ourselves and that has trickled into every part of my life and it trickles into my parenting. And the thing that stuck with me from the conversation with Lauren and the thing that the reason I tell you guys about this story, I, mean, I was so awful to myself for like four hours, call myself stupid, call myself like inept, whatever. Like just the, the voice in my head was so unrelenting. There was no grace. And it was, I just forgot something. I made a mistake. How do we do that? with our kids, with our athletes, with our, with our actual children? Are we giving them the voice inside of our head? Are we becoming that voice that says you're not good enough because you made a mistake? I know that I don't want that for any of my athletes, any of the athletes I work with. And I certainly don't want it for my children. And yet, because they're always around and I'm constantly in interaction with them. Some of those things are happening to them. And what I did and, and the, this conversation again, just was so like, I don't know, it was, it was convicting in reality because we talked about judgment and empathy and I, I'm very rarely empathetic with myself. It's immediate judgment. And I'm, as I said in the conversation, I'm okay at not judging my athletes, having some grace with them and thinking about what is going on in their day and all this. And asking questions, Lauren encouraged us to ask that question, create a neutral ground through the question. I love that idea. But I don't do that for myself. I don't often do that with my own kids. The challenge for us to take away from from this conversation, it's like, we have to get specific about and intentional about what do we want to give away? I think to the Amy Fast podcast just a few episodes ago, and she talks about what's the point of all of this? Well, what's the point as coaches, as parents, if we are the support system for our athletes, what's the point? We want them to find their best performance. Us giving them language, giving them this voice inside their head that says that they're not good enough is not promoting their best performance. We need to be empathetic. We need to understand what they're going through. When we can do that, we unlock them and, and there's power in that. And I, I just, I don't know, I'm so, so excited to bring you guys this conversation because of what was in it, how much stuff was there. Like we have to remember they are people too. <laughs> They're humans long before we want them to be. We don't, we're not creating robots. We're not creating people to just follow our orders and, and do the thing. We actually want to free them to be the best version of themselves because then they're going to rub off on their teammates, their siblings, whoever it might be. And we get better results, stuff we couldn't possibly have imagined if we just created replicas of ourself, man, uh, so excited that you guys continue to join us and continue to show up for these episodes because we're growing, you know, and I'm excited to grow with you. Check us out 
online, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Eyes Up Mindset. We're Eyes Up Mindset Family on Facebook. Check out the website. Um, and, and rate, review, subscribe if you can. Uh, go check out what Lauren's doing, Performance Reimagined. Uh, and as always, live eyes up. <laughs>